Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. But 20% is where we're seeing a lot of the sellers feel good. It's enough skin in the game and it's not like a no money down deal. And then they understand coming in with 50% is a pretty big payment and maybe not as competitive as what a bank could have. Welcome to the Best Ever Show, the world's longest running daily commercial real estate podcast. Our hosts interview commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice ever with none of the fluffy stuff. Hello, Best Ever listeners. Welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. I'm Ash Patel, and I'm with today's guest, Jason Postal. Jason is joining us from New Smyrna Beach, Florida, he is the managing partner of MHCI Group, where they turn around mobile home parks. Jason's portfolio consists of 16 mobile home parks, totaling 749 units. Jason, thank you for joining us, and how are you today? I'm doing great. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. It's our pleasure. Jason, before we get started, can you give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? Yeah, sure. So my background after college, I played baseball my whole life. That was my background, played in the minor leagues, professional baseball for about five years. And I always had a passion for real estate. Didn't really know what that was. As anybody now in real estate knows, it, it can be pretty broad. There's a lot of little niches. So I just thought the way to do that was to get a real estate license, which for the listeners, if you're trying to get into real estate, that's not always the course of action. Just as many will now know, getting a real estate license sometimes can be very irrelevant. I one time heard a guy, it was one of my last seasons playing, it was a ex-big leaguer, and he said he didn't make his millions in baseball. It was actually owning thousands of apartment units in South Detroit, and he didn't have a license. So I was just like, well, maybe that's not the route to go. But the long short of it was I did end up getting a license, started just doing sales, and gravitated into the commercial real estate space. And as I got more in the sales and I, I started finding more of the, the deals and the opportunities, I started learning more, reading more, educating by listening to podcasts and reading books and found that there was a way for me to own larger commercial real estate assets earlier than later, instead of waiting till I retired or had something. So a few years ago in 2020, me and my business partner, Tyler Lekas, we co-founded MHCI Group, and that's now where we have built our portfolio in the manufactured housing community space. So mobile home parks, traditionally known, 
trailer parks and that's been our business. So we're happy and growing. What was your first acquisition? I had zero real estate holdings other than a home. I was on the fence of saying, well, do I get my first investment property as a duplex and do the double every two years and try to grow that way? Or as I started learning in the syndication, the answer is it ended up being a 68 unit mobile home park. And that was again in 2020. And it was two parks actually that were close to each other. And that was our first. And when I say R, again, it was me and, and my business partner. I think he's going to be on another later interview. And him and I had a couple other partners and we bought our first investment together. You established a team of partners before your first property. Why did you do that? Ironically, and I'm not even bringing this up because I'm on the podcast, but I had one woman tell me at an event because she knew I was an apartment broker and she goes, oh, hey, if you found a really good deal, we'll give you a piece of the equity. And I'd never heard that before. I was just like, wait, what do you mean? You guys are actually getting equity on these. So I started digging, learning, and I came across the best ever syndication book. And that was actually five or six years. So there was a few years in between. It wasn't just like, oh, I heard this and then boom, got into a syndication. But to answer your question, as I learned over the few years, I read books, started educating myself. I had some investors that were working full time. I was a broker. We were aligned on our goals going forward. So I did start to build a partnership essentially before we even got into our first deal. It was years of cultivating that, of course, right? And building those relationships. And then finally, when we found the right deal, everything aligned to get into that first deal. How many partners did you have at inception? There was four total. Tyler and myself as the operators, and then there was two more that were more in the passive role that worked full-time. Were these people vetted friends or were they new acquaintances? Yeah, good question. So one was a, an acquaintance on Tyler's side and on my side, and again, we all joined, so we were both all together, but technically it was one of my first investors came through the brokerage and he was a full-time banker. So that was probably about a year and a half relationship, just looking for deals, meeting for lunch, going to events, that type of deal. But it was four total. And then Tyler and I met, that's a funny story in itself, but just again, on the broker side, cold calling and a couple years of developing a relationship. Yeah. And that's interesting because usually the stories that we hear are partnerships are created organically. It's not purpose-driven before the first deal. So interesting to hear that. The 68-unit mobile home park. You read the syndication book. Why not buy apartments instead of mobile home parks? That's another great question because I always loved apartments. Going back even when I heard that big leaguer say he owned thousands of units of apartments. So I gravitated to the apartments brokerage. And then as I started feeling I was getting into my late twenties, early thirties, didn't have any investment, never worked a normal job, not a good excuse to not have a 401k or something as an investment. But I, <laughs> well, I started just doing a lot of research because it's a scary deal, right? Where am I putting my money? And then not only just mine, it's other people's money. So apartments were very competitive. I'm in Florida right now. And this was 2017, 2018. I started reading more and heard about mobile home parks. And at the time I heard more or less you own the dirt and it's not as management intense, which proved to not really be the case at all. But I did feel like 300, $400 lot rent, 
it just seemed like a really safe and interesting asset class. So I did pivot a bit into that. And then once I, again, met business partner Tyler, we were at it full time together. It just seemed like the right fit in a different market, Arkansas. So it, it wasn't as competitive and it just caught fire then. And it was good because we're building the management team too. So I probably would have really relied on a third party management team on apartments. And it's not as common, not saying they're not out there, but in mobile home communities to really find a third party. So I've really learned the ins and outs on the operation side, opposed to just trying to put the deal together. Not saying that's what everybody does, but I would have never built out a property management team for apartments. I would have found a third party, know quite a few already, but that was more in my mind, just less competitive at the time. Maybe not. It was just the way I was looking at it, but different market, less competition. Your very first acquisition was still the 68 unit mobile home park, right? Was that yes. in your backyard or was that distant? It was in Arkansas. So again, being in Florida, it was distant. And did you guys self-manage that or was it third party? We did. We did self-manage that. Tyler was from Florida as well, moving there. He lives in Little Rock now. He's in there. I come in town every few months, but we did. We built out the management team, tried to get some boots on the ground, but it has been challenging. What kind sure. of mistakes did you guys make? And I'm sure there were plenty. Yeah, that, <laughs> lots. And that, that, so, that was a courageous property that you took on, right? First property, not a small property, and also several states away from you. So would love to hear some of the pitfalls that you can help our users avoid. Yeah. And it is really important because I really talk as much as maybe some would like to hear about all the maybe not so good, right? Everybody likes to talk about all the huge returns and how great and how many units have, but going back to where I heard owning the dirt, right? Our business model, we don't own the homes. It's tenant owned homes. So the less management, we're not fixing everything. We still have some that we end up leasing back, but the mistakes we made early on is the infill projects where when I say infill projects, let's say like we just bought a 49 site, 50 units, there was only 36 physical homes. So those vacant pads, we need to source homes, put those homes on the pads, lease up. And that's really capital intensive to do so. And probably not early on figuring out, cause we didn't know, you don't know what you don't know, as many will say. So trying to calculate those costs, we definitely undershot what it took to finish out a project, right? It wasn't so much of just, oh, we go in, we increase rents and paint the outside of a building. It was a whole different business plan. And then there's always things that come up, water, plumbing. There was, hasn't happened in 40 years, but it was, there was a free storm. So we had pipes explode all over the place. I laugh now, obviously it wasn't funny then, but it's just due diligence, like Orangeburg. I didn't even know what that was going back a few years ago. It's like a paper mache pipe under the ground that just, if you're not doing the scoping the lines and, and doing a full due diligence and just looking at a rent roll and seeing some bank statements, there was a lot more that went into it. And was it enough to dissuade you or did you keep buying mobile home parks? The short answer is no. We have a lot of cash payers transitioning all that into online pay, common to apartments, right? Apartment operator would just think this is common sense. Mobile home parks, there's a lot of cash. And so to, to get everybody to transition to paying online and that was difficult. But I think before our first deal, just trying to get a deal done, it was two years before we actually landed that first deal. So I think for a lot of listeners, 
And I've talked to guys that are trying to get in it and they feel discouraged. And I did too. So I almost feel like earlier on trying to get into that first deal is almost more discouraging than getting in and understanding how much work it is. Because once you're in, you, you can still get motivated by putting deals together, figuring out the solutions to all the problems that do come in on a daily basis. But no, it is tough, but it's not discouraging. What year was it that you purchased this property? 2020, right? Yes, sir. October okay. 2020. So I've got to ask you, you've got a purpose-driven team built out. 2020 was not a hard year to find mobile home parks or actually 2018 through 2020. Why did you take two years? Was it overanalyzing deals? What was it? Because it probably didn't take you two years to find your next property. No, no. So what was it? I'm really not picking on you, but this is something a lot of new investors go through. And I want this to be a lesson to some of our listeners that are sitting there just analyzing deal after deal and not executing. So why did it take two years? In Florida, and I'm not saying Florida was the most competitive market ever. There's across the U.S. all sorts of competitive markets. I think earlier on, it was just our offers. And I can't speak for Tyler, so I'll only say me. You know, maybe for me, it was almost scared of overpaying because I figured, well, my money's on the line. And this might be a terrible excuse. All of them are probably excuses, right? So I don't want to make too many of them. But I do feel that earlier on being the first investment, well, even if it's a second or a hundredth, right? You'd never want to lose your money. Or to me, it's scary to even think about losing someone else's money than my own. So I think in that period, we were getting crushed by offers that were just cash, quick closing, and having a short timeline to do all the due diligence. Again, going back to overpaying, I know interest rates were a lot better. So it, it wasn't so much the debt was as expensive as now, but it was the prices were still high and just really factoring in all the even unknown. So I think that was a hurdle alone with some of the larger groups were just crushing us with better offers and terms and experience too. I know now it's, it's only been, again, three years. We've had some previous experience and, and again, Tyler's owned a little longer than I have, but we have a pretty good track record with a portfolio that's operating now. So I think that definitely gets us at the table as far as offers being considered instead of, well, what do these guys own? So I think it was a mix. I think, again, fear maybe of just overpaying, lack of time to really get due diligence done, and then just having the track record to get into larger deals and not have a portfolio established. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And Jason, the 68 unit, two properties, what was the purchase price on that? That was a million seventy. Looking back, what's a metric that you would use today to easily evaluate a mobile home park? Sure. So now we're not so much looking at the pro forma and we're factoring in a lot more cost of infilling. So again, going back to the infill, if it's a hundred spaces and it's 50% vacant. If we paid, let's say 15,000 all in per vacant pad to get it filled, we're now calculating 20 or just a little buffer. But really our cash on cash return is one of the main metrics we look at because the IRRs, and there's so many, not saying one's better than the other or one, it's just in my opinion and, and how we've evaluated and especially how things have changed so quickly with the interest rate environment, looking at an IRR from five or 10 years out is so subjective on, well, what's the market looking like? Are we down 30%? Are the interest rates higher, lower? So really cap rates, of course, okay to look at, but it's really 
to us just to cash on cash. If we get to that double digit, 10 to 12, we have deals now that are in the 20% cash on cash, which is, is crazy. So, but as long as we're in that low to mid 10 to 12, just day one with some value add, that's really the most important figure. Yeah. And I'm a big fan of that. So best ever listeners, I would recommend you use that metric. That should be one of your top metrics that you look at is cash on cash returns. Very important. Did you execute your plan by infilling, buying additional mobile homes and selling off the ones that you own? Or do you prefer to keep the ownership of the mobile homes? Right now, our model has always been the tenants own the home. So we'll sell those off. We've even given some away where they were just such a big renovation or maybe someone in the community wanted it and said, hey, we'll fix this up in the next 30, 60 days. So it's not just an eyesore and then we we want the lot rent. So we do sell the homes off. If anything, we'll do a lease option for them to purchase down the road. So that still gives us that park owned home income or extra yield without having that expense as owning that park as a park owned home. We would sell it off as they own it now. You're responsible. They're technically leasing it, right? We can't be financiers, but we do sell it off. So that's been our model. We'll get back to the show with the first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. Deciding how to invest your capital is more challenging than ever. That's why it's never been more important to partner with a company with a solid track record and that has thrived through various economic cycles. Companies like BAM Capital. BAM Capital is a trusted multifamily syndicator that has delivered a historical average of over 35% IRR with an average hold period of three and a half years. BAM Capital has never missed a preferred payment, never lost an LP's investment, and never called capital past the subscription amount. Jason, what was the average lot rent when you purchased it in 2020 versus what the rent is currently? We have an average across those 700 plus unit sites at 325 to 350. Now, Fayetteville market, that is more in the 500 range. We're in Southwest Little Rock. It's not apples to apples comparing those two. But the bulk of our portfolio is Central Arkansas, and that's between 325 and 350. To answer your question on where we got into, they were averaging, if you can believe anywhere in America, somebody was paying $90 in rent. But it was 150 to 250. And these are mom and pop that haven't raised in 10 years. They knew Sally and Tom and Javier and ever, forever, and they just felt bad. So it's not like we got in there at a 150, 200 and just juiced the rents. The market, we're not even the leader. So at 325 to 350, there's still some other operators that are closer to 400. But to answer your question, 225, 250 to now being at the 325, 350. Yeah, that's great. And by the way, Fayetteville is an amazingly beautiful city in Arkansas. What a great place. Look, there's a lot of backlash in the national media about Wall Street banks buying mobile home parks, raising rents because they have a captive audience. What are your thoughts on that? And you are still reasonable in your rents. You're not the market leaders, but you understand that you do have a captive audience and you can probably raise rents as high as you want. There's operators out there that are giving the industry a black eye. Absolutely. So I'm not going to act like we're doing this as a charity event. We're charitable. We love to give, but this is a business. At the end of the day, though, we do want to preserve affordable housing. We do see where... These cities, municipalities, there is a diminishing supply. So they're tearing down more 
of these parks and they're building them. And they're bulldozing them, putting up these A-class apartment buildings. So for us, you're right, there are groups out there that are going and there's really nothing they can do other than move out. And then someone is still going to pay 600 opposed to a 1600 in an apartment. So we do pride ourselves on preserving it. Again, not being a charity event, we have our overhead and expenses and we come in every park and put in new pavement. A lot of our tenants, our residents, their car payments more than their lot rent. So they appreciate it. Hey, these guys come in. Yeah, it goes up a little bit. We're not going way high because it is, again, Arkansas. So the apartment rents, we still have to stay below where they could get a home or a class apartment. But we definitely get to just where we feel market is and then just do a, a small annual increase. And how do you find homes to bring in? Do you look for new ones, used ones? What does it cost to transport them? That has been the challenge. I just was in Arkansas last week and we bought a new property and, and that's what we were just talking about. Do we try to source used homes to renovate or the homes that are in there that are really old? Do we tear those down, bring new homes? In my opinion, the brand new homes, there is a program out there, 21st Mortgage. You can bring in uh, essentially a, a brand new home, finance it obviously, but for $15,000, we found is, is really the average cost to put steps, skirtings, hookup. And when you put in a brand new home, it's, it's obviously bringing up the aesthetics of the community. So it looks nice, but it does get a more quality tenant in there. And that has a little more pride of ownership. We're in these as buy and hold guys. So we're not really looking to flip communities. So we think, Hey, we get a new home in there. It's going to be there while the turn on those are even better. Even though we have a mortgage payment that is eating some of that cash flow, if someone moves out, we have found that the turn to turn that unit back, since it's basically new, is so much less expensive than if we renovate a used home for whatever reason. We've just, it, out of the few that we've had, it ends up being a better option a lot of times. But we find Rio's used homes and going back to my earlier comment on uh, some of the residents we have in there, we even let them have a second or third. Some of them are, we call them Lonnie dealers. There was a book, I don't know, I'm not sure if you're a Lonnie dealer. They come into the community and they are pretty much an investor in your own community. We don't let it get over really 10%, but they'll come in and they'll buy one of our homes. They do the renovations. Let's say they rent it for a thousand dollars. They pay us the lot rent 300 and they'll find their own tenant and make the spread. And we're perfectly okay with that. So the long answer to say we do a mix used home, new homes, but Right now, we're leaning more towards the new home option. Okay, so is that a new home delivered, installed for $15,000? That's right. Wow. Okay. The, the mortgage pay was about four fifty, dollars and that home is about thirty-six dollars to $40,000 plus. But yes, to bring it in, I believe just to move a home is about $3,500, just to move a home. Okay, so you're all wow. in on a new home for about sixty. dollars all in, yes, but out of pocket cost with finance it right. That, that's sure. right. Yep. Got it. Mm -hmm. And you've gone on to purchase additional mobile home parks. Have you also purchased multifamily? We have not at this point. We've looked at a few deals, but no. We've we've had maybe a little apartment on one of our parks, but we have not bought a apartment complex yet. Hyper focused on mobile homes. Yes, sir. Got it. And still in Arkansas? That's right. We are branching out in the Southeast now. We do love Florida, but yes, our portfolio is right now in, in Arkansas. And Jason, over the last six months or so, the lending markets have changed significantly. What are you seeing today for getting financing for mobile home parks? And what do you see for new 
teams or new individuals that don't have a track record. So you might be different because you've got the experience, the track record, and you might be able to get loans. But somebody that is inspired by this podcast and wants to follow in your footsteps, what are their chances of getting financed for a mobile home park? Great question. And I do want to go back to the bank. I didn't want to dwell on that point on why it took two years to get in because we didn't have a track record. So I don't want to discourage anybody thinking, oh gosh, I don't have a track record because it's definitely not irrelevant, but being in a competitive market in that 50 to 100 unit plus, it, it definitely helps us now having a little bit, right? It's just obvious, but I, I don't want that to discourage anybody listening because our first deal, and to get back to your question on the interest rate environment, it was an owner financed 68 unit. He didn't care and it was off market. So there was some call to offers, with a broker and I'm a broker, so I'm not dumping on brokers at all. We leverage brokers still to this day and they bring us deals. So by all means leverage brokers, but it was 68. So it was sizable, not the biggest deal in the world, but it wasn't like the duplex I was contemplating before, right? It was a pretty good sized deal to get in as the first deal. And he did not ask about our track record. We financed it through him. So he didn't ask to see our financial statements or even personally guarantee it. Or so we're still owner financing on a lot of deals, but I think to even local community banks, that has been one of our best banking relationships because once we met them, even when we didn't have the biggest track record, we had a good business plan and we could answer their questions, not just with some big pro forma, not we're getting into this and bumping rest. It was, it was a true business plan. Like, how are we doing it? Who's operating this? How are we managing just A to Z. And we paid, I think just on this last year, it was like nine and a quarter percent from a local bank. So it was a high interest rate. So I guess for the listeners, owner financing is a great option, obviously, because we're still even willing to pay a little higher, but we're negotiating those rates back when prices were that high. So that's where I think there can be a lot of deals being done where sellers still want a little higher price, but they're willing to hold on to a node for a lower interest rate. I think that's and by where... the way, that lender has to love you if they're making nine and a half percent on your loan. There's times where I don't mind overpaying for loans because to me, it's almost like they now owe us a favor. So on your next deal, again, you're probably one of the higher interest rates loans that they have put out. So when you need a favor from them, it should be called in. Right. Of course they love us. And they've given us much lower rates. This was a heavy project too. There was a lot of vacancies, but yes, they do love us. They give us quite a bit of loans there. Jason, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? So I think don't give up, right? I know that's a cliche answer, but it's going back to the beginning of the conversation with getting into the first deal and even seasoned operators trying to find deals in a challenging market, whether that's being competitive or interest rates being high. I think if you keep going, whether that's you're finding deals or partners, it's hard to lose it if you won't give up. Me and this partner, we, we joke like, oh, well, don't quit. Like people can't give it. These sellers, we now are closing deals where it was three years ago when we first started together. Now we're finally getting across the finish line with these. So it's just hanging in there. We've had other competition and they've kind of burned off or they've gone elsewhere. And we've just stayed with it. So I think whether it's your first deal or you're having a hard time finding lenders, maybe, yeah, nine and a quarter isn't super cheap, but you keep finding other partners, whether that's going to events or just networking and building those relationships, you'll get it done. Jason, you mentioned earlier that your plan was to hold these properties forever. Did I hear that right? 
I might have said forever. Yes, that's been our business plan. Not saying never would sell, but yes, we're buying hold is our, our strategy. Okay. And you have investors on these properties, right? Correct. What is their understanding for returns? Is there a preferred payment that you give quarterly, monthly? We're open. We've now changed our structures from obviously the first deal was a little different than now where we're getting more into that traditional syndication private placement instead of more of a JV, but we are very open. We know we haven't been in the business for 30 years, so we have mentors in the space where we will always pivot, but we're always looking to refi. We want to get to 10,000 units by 2028. So it's pretty lofty goals, but we don't get there by just flipping deals and selling off everything. So it's not as easy to refi right now, obviously, but we did get these deals in such a discount and we didn't over leverage where we were in trouble, which we're not right now, thank God, but we would still be able to refi, pay investors, keep them in the deal as we always would. And hold on. And now there's always, as you know, buy, so if they want it out, we would work that or we would buy them out and we would have that conversation. But yeah, right now we're offering a preferred return and a split of the upside with the idea of, hey, we refinance this, return all their capital and hold on for the next. What is the current advertised preferred return and the advertised hold period and return for investors? Sure. So we're doing 8% preferred, and then we're doing 70% to the investors. Then the whole time when we're negotiating these deals, we're doing seven years. If it's an owner finance, we'll ask for like a 10 year, but we were very confident in three years having a refi event where we have done now two full cycle refis where we've returned all the capital. One was in five months and it could have been a really like a three X. It was a small deal. It was 33 units, 375. We could have refied that at a 75, almost an 80, at an 800 evaluation, but we didn't want to over leverage going back and we respected some of the other partners' opinions in the deal. So we pulled out, it was like a one and a half, five months, everybody was happy. We ended up rolling into another 40 unit deal, but the common terms will be about a three year. We say three to five year is really our whole time. And when I say whole time, we're looking at a, a refi event. Jason, on an owner financing deal, what's the typical down payment? We have done as high as 50%. Now we're at 20%. We've asked for about a 10% down on a little larger deal where we, we needed our cash on cash to work. But 20% is where we're seeing a lot of the sellers feel good. It's enough skin in the game and it's not like a no money down deal. And then they understand coming in with 50% is a pretty big payment and maybe not as competitive as what a bank could have could have done. But Got it. Jason, are you ready for the best ever lightning round? Yes. All right. What's the best ever book you recently read? Well, again, the best ever syndication book, that was one of the best to get me in this space. I'm not saying that just because this, but The One Thing by Gary Keller was one of the best ones. Recently. Jason, what's the best ever way you like to give back? I give to the Lord. I'm thinking of other ways to be more charitable, but that's my go-to. Jason, how can the best ever listeners reach out to you? Our website's the mhcigroup.com or always emails good, jason at mhcigroup.com. Jason, thank you very much for your time today, sharing your story out of professional baseball into real estate, assembling your team and executing on your vision. So thank you for sharing that inspiration with us. Ash, I appreciate the time. Thank you so much for having me on. 
Best ever listeners, thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a five-star review. Share this podcast with someone you think can benefit from it. Also, follow, subscribe, and have a best ever day. Hi, best ever listeners. Joe Fairless here again. And one last thing before you go, would you like to receive a short weekly email with proven tips from experienced investors, free tools and resources, and a roundup of the week's most relevant news and best ever content? Well, if so... Join the community of nearly 15,000 commercial real estate passive and active investors who receive the best ever newsletter. Just go to bestevercre.com forward slash access and you'll get the very next one. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, thank you for listening and have a best ever day.